Man, give God a round of applause. Wasn't that awesome? So what a great theological truth. And we're going to share with you the Word of God that matches that very worship song that you just sang this morning. Welcome to Connect Church, man. An awesome looking crowd today for most of y'all. And uh, we're glad that you guys are here this morning. My name is Terry Pierce. I had the wonderful privilege of being the lead pastor here. And today, uh, well actually for a long time, probably for the next, who knows, millennium, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. And we're talking to you about God's got a plan. The Gospel of Luke, and we're going verse by verse through this incredible book of the Bible, and we're sharing with you, and here's the overall theme message, God has a plan for your life, and we want to help you discover that week in and week out. Well, uh, what an exciting week that we had here at Connect Church, man. God did some awesome things, and uh, it's just been unbelievable. We had somewhere around 1,500, maybe as many as 2,000 people on our campus To my knowledge, the 90-year history of this church, the most people that was ever on our campus was Sunday night at a trunk-or-treat deal where we gave out candy, ran out of everything. Our volunteers, our youth team did an amazing job and just a phenomenal night. We had them backed out, uh, standing in line all the way to the Mexican restaurant. We had to cut off Oakview, and so it was just crazy how many people came out and uh, an awesome event. And then Thursday night, we had a, um, a beast feast, so we brought in a Christian comedian by the name of Yacht Yacht. And for those of you that are not from Mississippi, uh, that is just a good southern name, Yacht Yacht. And anyway, and so he, uh, he shared with us on our campus, this building right in here in this auditorium was packed out with a bunch of rednecks, a bunch of fishermen, and a bunch of deer spotlight and corn feeding uh, hunters that were in the building and Austin should have arrested them. But anyway, uh, and so they were here on our campus and, and here was the really funny thing that happened, Russ, is I had somebody came up to me after, you know, the, the feast uh, and sharing the gospel and all that stuff with him and they, they just came up to me and they said, you realize that this may be the first time in Baptist church history that in an auditorium, in a sanctuary, y'all were giving away chainsaws and 22 rifles (laughs) Uh, in the sanctuary, in God's house. And I said, man, that is so crazy. And I said, and they said, is that, you know, you're going to get in trouble for that. And I said, I don't care if some stuck-up Baptist is worried about what we gave away in this auditorium when we gave away Jesus and we delivered Jesus to all of those people, many of them that I've been praying for that I haven't ever seen in this church. I'll take that all the day and twice on Sunday. I'm telling you, it's been an amazing week. Uh, that we, what we've had here, we hired and, and brought on Taylor, our new staff member, and she started working this week. And uh, man, just you guys are already getting into the habit of scheduling stuff. Uh, thank you for all the counseling cases, but you guys are already contacting her about what's going on and where you need me at. And so that's been a big help to free me up so that I can preach the gospel and stay focused on this message. So it's been an amazing week of how God's blessed us, and thank you for being a part of that. Speaking of deliveries, Of course, our largest delivery this week was Samuel, and so uh, what a blessing, so amen. And we got a little razor back, next slide here, you ready? There you go, so, uh, and I'm pretty sure what uh, Ashley said that after he was delivered, all they heard was woo pig, Um, but anyway, and so uh, that's Tanner's thing, he said, what a beautiful, Uh, I've told uh, Tanner and uh, Ashley, I'm pretty convinced that about 18 years from now, guys, 18 years from today, uh, we'll be watching Arkansas football and on the offensive line will be uh, Samuel Walker Stahl. And uh, so he's already going to be suited up for that. Uh, man, uh, what, what, what a blessing. So we're thankful for that special delivery. Well, t- thinking about deliveries. So I, I got this on my mind, you know, you know, Ashley gave us a delivery and, and, you know, we delivered to our community this week and served our community and neighborhood. And so what a blessing. But so I got to thinking. So and it's always dangerous when I get to thinking. And uh, yeah, and so I decided, I had to ask the question, what's the top 10 
our top five whatever uh, delivery slogans that are out there today. And here's some of them. So delivering happiness in needs. The top delivery slogans from companies. Fall in love with our service. That's not bad. Your package in our safe hands. I'm not even going to speak to that. Uh, let us run your errands. I like that one. I like that one. Everything at your doorstep. That's sort of appealing. Now what is, what, what is, who does or says the slogan, what can Brown do for you? Who is that? UPS. And then, but, so I didn't want Chris. Chris is our media guy that's putting this stuff up here, and, and he'd really get his feelings hurt if I just had UPS. So I had to figure, I didn't know what FedEx's uh, statement was, but the world on time, Chris, that's just for you, dude. All right, anyway, and so these are the top slogans. But you know, you can't go back, and so, but if you could go back to my day, we used to have a lot of slogans that were not necessarily political correct for your all's millennial and Gen Z generation that's in the auditorium this morning. Some of you would be highly offended because back in my day, this was AT&T. Before, there was Lily. <laughs> she loves that at AT&T. Uh, but anyway, before there was Lily at AT&T uh, and before they, you know, she was giving away everything, do you remember back in the day what AT&T slogan was? It would be so politically not correct today. Reach out and touch someone. Somebody's getting arrested. I'm just telling you, uh, we would not be allowed to do that. How many employees would be fired? Reach out and touch someone. Oh, my goodness. Uh, anyway, uh, and so, and in that plus is not social distancing, so we cannot possibly, uh, you know, have that one. And then not only was there that one, but do you remember back in the day, Terry? Remember when you had, you know, the mounds and the almond joy? And remember what their slogan was? Sometimes you just feel like a nut. I'm not even touching that one. Uh, I'm not touching that one. We're going to leave that one alone. But that was a real commercial. It really was, don't it? Don't judge me. They were the one that came up with it. So anyway, uh, so I got to thinking about, uh, you know, what's the top delivery company? So this had deliveries on my mind, which is dangerous. So here's the top 10 delivery companies. By the way, uh, Mark Garrett, uh, Amazon is in the trillions and billions of sales, and so they outdistance. They're not even close. All of the other nine don't even touch how much these guys make in profit on a daily basis. So, but interestingly, uh, I noted. Now, here's the fascinating thing about the top ten. Um, you did make that one, Chris. Well, all right. Anyway, so here's the top ten. But here's what I found fascinating as a Baptist preacher: DoorDash, Grubhub. Uh, by the way, Speedy. Has anybody ever heard of Speedy? That's a cool name. I like that. It was, I don't know. It's just me. All right. Uh, and then Uber Eats. So you got those three. Do you, do you know uh, that I, I, I did the research and did the analytics on this? Uh, Grubhub does 43 billion. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. DoorDash does 43 billion. Grubhub does 6 um, billion. And then uh, Uber Eats uh, has 4.8 billion in annual sales. So I ran the math together. All right. You ready? Just on food deliveries. America spends $53.4 billion on food deliveries. And looking at the auditorium today, I see why. All right, anyway, just saying, uh, but the truth of the matter is, is that we, we like our deliveries and, and we love food, and I'm with you. I'm all in on this deal, and so, especially in this season. So talking about deliveries, this morning, I said all that to say this. I want to talk to you about the greatest deliverer of all time. Who is the greatest deliverer of all time? And if you are saved here this morning, you know who I'm talking about. If you have been delivered from your sins, you know his name. And say it with me. What is his name? Amen. There you go. Y'all, you've been to church. All right, and so we're going to talk to you today about the greatest deliverer of all time. His name is Jesus. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. And we're going to wade through the final paragraph of this marvelous chapter. The great deliverer Jesus, after departing his hometown of Nazareth, that we talked to you guys about in last Sunday's message, Jesus resume, resumes his successful ministry in Capernaum. Now, let me give you a little bit. I think it's helpful to get the geography down this because it, it'll help you connect to the story this morning. If you will... Picture the nation of Israel a little bit. It's loosely associated school teachers, but uh, it, it'll, it'll work for this illustration. Like this, the shape and the size of the state of Mississippi. 
Where we were at last Sunday, in, earlier in chapter 4, Jesus is at the top of the country of Israel, be like in Tupelo, Boonville area, and except it was mountainous. And it was his hometown of Nazareth that's at the top of the nation of Israel. Jerusalem is at the bottom, would be similar to Jackson, Mississippi, the capital area down uh, lower. And then in the middle is where we're at today. And he, we're going to find Jesus in the synagogue teaching and preaching in the city of Capernaum, which was located beautifully. I've had the privilege of being there and fantastic, uh, most, one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. The city of Capernaum circle surrounds the Sea of Galilee. It's just gorgeous and amazing. So Jesus has left. The elevation in Nazareth's hometown is 1,150 uh, above, feet above sea level. Uh, Capernaum is 640 feet below sea level. So Jesus has went way down in elevation, but his ministry popularity is soaring to new heights like it's never been before. And people are beginning to discover as his public ministry continues in the city of Capernaum that Jesus is the great deliverer. And what you're getting ready to read in this text, I'm not going to have time to come back and preach on this, but in the first verse of 31, in the original Greek, translated well in the ESV, is this word authority. And what happens when Jesus was preaching in this story that we're getting ready to read, he's preaching in the synagogue of Capernaum. And in his delivery, he's got his audience on the edge of the seat. They have never, ever heard a rabbi speak like Jesus. You see, in those days and in that culture, rabbis would come in and they would speak in the synagogues in various cities but they always had and made an argument intellectually about the rabbi who had mentored them. In other words, you were trained by a rabbi for years, then you would begin to teach and argue that interpretation of the Old Testament scriptures. So now get this, Jesus walks in and they're like, who was your rabbi mentor? Who taught you? And Jesus goes, I had no teacher, I am the teacher. And so he had their attention already. And now for the very first time, you would go to the temple, Hector, and you would listen to this intellectual discourse, this argument about what this guy said about the Old Testament. Then this rabbi would get up and argue about what he believed about the Old Testament. But nobody gave a flip about the people that were listening into the audience. It was head knowledge, but it did not help them, did not change them. Jesus walks in and he has a different tone to his message. This man spoke with authority like they had never heard before and he had compassion on them and what his message was I came not to just give you understanding but I came to deliver you I came to change your circumstances and your situation I want to help you and the people were amazed because they'd never heard that kind of compassion Jesus is the great deliverer. Verse 31. And he went down to Capernaum, the city of Galilee. As he was teaching on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. In the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. And you could hear the visceral, just diabolical tone in his voice. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst, he came out of him. And having done him no harm, and they were all amazed, is pretty much an understatement at that point, and said to one another, What is this word? For with what authority and power that he commands unclean spirits, and they come out. And I'm telling you, the reports about him went every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and he left the synagogue, and he entered into Simon's house. This is Peter. And Simon's mother-in-law 
who had a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and he left, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. I'm not going to have time to hit this later, but just a thought. Have you ever thought about how godly, I never had caught this, Gary, but how godly Peter was. Peter asked Jesus to come and heal his mother-in-law. And so anyway, okay, let's move on. All right, and so, um, and now when the sun was setting, all those who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And the demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them, and they would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him, and they would have kept him from leaving. But he said unto them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to the other towns as well, for as I was sent for this purpose. And we're going to come back to that at the very end. And he was preaching in the synagogue of Judea. There is certainly confidence in the message that we've outlined the authority of Jesus' words that were more powerful, more compassionate than they'd ever heard in the synagogue. And so that is so surreal. And, and it was the first time that the Jewish audience had heard somebody that really wanted to help them with their desperate situations in their own lives, physically, spiritually, and emotionally, that never been cared for before. And so we get that, and that's in verse 31. But now here's where we land at this morning about why Jesus, Dr. Luke, will take us to a place to expound upon the truth that Jesus is the great deliverer. And here's the argument that he begins with. The very first miracle in the Gospel of Luke is found in our text today. Isn't it really crazy that the first miracle in the Gospel of Luke is an exorcism? Oh, now I got you all woke up. You said, oh my goodness, I didn't know I was going to one of them snake handling churches today. Uh, we're not. Uh, but anyway, the truth of the matter is, but it's in the Bible. The very first miracle that Jesus performs in the Gospel of Luke is an exorcism. And, and Dr. Daryl Bach, a New Testament commentator, brilliant man, he makes this case. And here's what I, I want you to understand because it's to the point of what we're making the case for today. The major opponent in Jesus' ministry consists of spiritual forces of evil. And this is significant. What Dr. Bach is, is, is making the outline for is that he's saying to you and I that I want you to understand that there's a demonic uh, um, uh, convergence that's happening in Jesus' life. Now, now, here's the point. Where did we leave you guys at last week, two weeks ago? Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days fasting and prayer, and who does he wind up going face-to-face with? Emano, Emano, Jesus and the devil. And the devil gives him three incredible temptations to, to, to walk away from the Father's mission and purpose in his life. And we see that in the end, in his weakest moments, Jesus has victory. He delivers against the enemy Satan and wins the battle. And if you and I were reading the story and we were doing a Hollywood movie or we were doing American Church, we would go, well, man, that was a great ending. Put that on Netflix, baby. Uh, somebody ought to call it The Chosen and, and then watch it. But anyway, uh, and so we would just come up with this whole thing that where we wanted to, you know, go, we won, we won, Jesus won. But that's not how the story ends. The devil doesn't give up. He's lost and he's defeated. But man, I'm telling you, he never gives up. He's like y'all Mississippi sports fans. No matter what happens, oh, we're going to win next week. All right. Anyway, you just keep coming back for more. Uh, and so, uh, and here he is. And, and the devil just never gives up. And here's the interesting commentary that Dr. Bob makes about Jesus and the devil. What's going to happen next? In the Gospel of Luke, 23 times the devil will go face-to-face, -face, Danny, with Jesus Christ in public contest, constantly, constantly trying to defeat Jesus. 
Matter of fact, 14 times between chapter 4 and chapter 10, the devil and Jesus will go boom, head to head in public confrontations. And you have to stop and ask yourself a question. If the devil is that unrelenting to try to take down Jesus, how much more is he coming after you? How much more is he coming after you and after me? This morning is a sobering, challenging warning that comes to us out of this text about the confrontation that happens in our lives. And, and, and folks, uh, the only way I know how to illustrate it is, um, and, and I think it'll help you, you know, get your heart and mind wrapped around this today, and, and how do we deal with this? Am I the only one? that is tired of COVID? Am I the only one that's tired? Can I get a witness this morning? Anybody else in here tired of COVID? And, and uh, man, yes. And, and, and here's the thing. And, and I hate to be the bubble buster. Well, I probably shouldn't say that. But anyway, I hope to be uh, negative Nancy here. But uh, I, I, it's just my opinion. But I'm afraid that COVID's here to stay. And I know, oh, great, I needed to hear that from you. Why don't I just watch, see it? Anyway, uh, but uh, the truth of the matter is, is that um, I think it's just it's something we're going to have to continually deal with it. And, and it's just, just like COVID is that it's just there, and it's always going to be there, and it's, and it's, you know, it's just frustrating to deal with at every level. And the truth of the matter is, no matter what we do, and I'm not Dr. Fauci, <laughs> Please stop. Uh, anyway, uh, but, but here's my opinion, is that no matter what we do, it's still going to be there. Vaccines, masks, pills, you know, whatever, social distancing, all of this stuff. And I'm not against any of that. I'm just saying it's just still going to be there, sort of like the flu. It's just going to be something we're going to have to live with, and it's going to be a part of our society. And we're going to have to decide either we're going to quit living or we're going to have to move on and figure out how do we get our joy back? How do we get our love back in this country? How do we care about whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated? We care about one another. How do we move forward with our lives and our nation with dealing with this? And that's exactly the way the Christian life is with the devil. you got to know he's coming after you tomorrow. He's coming after you this afternoon. He's going to be there. He is unrelenting trying to defeat us. But I'm telling you, I know who the great deliverer is. I know that Jesus Christ is better than a vaccine. He's better than a mask. He's better than a pill. He can give us victory. And so this morning... We have hope. We have hope because we know who the great deliverer is. His name is Jesus. And so in our text today, I want us to see what it looks like for you and I to process this. And I'm getting ready to share with you um, three applications to what it looks like from our text today to have victory in Jesus. But let me illustrate it to you this way before we get down to that. Um, <laughs> one other illustration. And I'm probably going to get in trouble, so but what's new? Does anybody know what a colonoscopy is? <laughs> and I know some of our older folks are going, I cannot believe he just said the C word in our church. And, uh, but hang with me, there's a point to this, and it's biblical. Uh, it's just going to take me a minute to get there. All right, I'm not looking at Belen. She's in the middle here. So anyway, I'm just going to talk to your side, James. Hey, we, you know, we're our age. Anyway, uh, and so uh, uh, a colonoscopy uh, is not a... Have, by the way, have you ever thought about how... Have you ever thought about how that... See, see just let's go there for a second. <laughs> have you ever thought about what slogan that they should use to sell a, a colonoscopy. Uh, remember Star Trek back in our day, go where no man's gone before? Anyway, and so sorry, sorry, that's terrible. All right, so, uh, but in a colonoscopy is that, um, the, <laughs> no, it's terrible. And so, you know, the, the whole thing is, when you think about it, is not the procedure that's really, oh, by the way, let me, one last thought. Have you ever thought, poor Gary's dying over here, somebody help him. Uh, anyway, is that uh, um, 
when you go to medical school and you, you know, brilliant, smart people, and you get your mental de medical degree, what makes you choose that doctor position? So I don't know. It's just, you know, the whole body and that's where you pick. But anyway, uh, and so I'm just thinking out loud. But so you have this whole thing going, and it's not the colonoscopy that is, that is really the painful procedure. Yeah, that word. So it's, I, I know. But <laughs> what she said, Belen already corrected me, Amy. Uh, so anyway, and so, but I still can't say it no matter how many, Michael, is this not our life? No matter how many times they tell us, we still can't do it, but it's, anyway, all right, sorry, anyway, speaking of, anyway, all right, so, so, <laughs> oh my gosh, this is tanking. Am I the only one sweating? And so, so it's not the procedure. Oh my gosh. I don't even know where I was going now. It's not, all these guys are literally terrified out of their minds right now. So, uh, so you don't, don't, don't Google it. All right. So anyway, uh, and so here's the thing. It's not the procedure itself. It's coming, boys. When you get to 50, it's, it's all downhill. Anyway, uh, and so um, it's not the procedure itself that's tough, though. The, the, I mean, you don't even know that happens. But it's drinking that nasty stuff beforehand. It's horrible. I'm just telling you. And, and you know what they've come out with now, all you medical people, Amy. So you know what they've come out with now? They've come out with flavored stuff to drink. You know what it is? It's flavored nasty. <laughs> it don't help a lick. It's just flavored nasty. It's worse. And so anyway, so you take this nasty stuff and you drink this nasty stuff, flavored, and what it does is it cleans you out so the doctor can go in and do his exam. And so you're going now, I go, ah. Oh. Anyway, uh, and, and so, but you do all of that, and it's really a nasty process of taking the drink. The procedure itself is not bad at all, but it's the process that just grosses you out and it's horrible. You know what happens? The doctor is able to see inside of your body. And in my case, it saved my life. Because when I turned 50, had the procedure done, and they found precancerous polyps. And if I don't get this done, and I don't go through the drinking the nasty stuff, I'm not here today and I die. The procedure saved my life. It was pain, it was the, the drinking of stuff was painful, it was frustrating, but it saved my life. And I said all that to say this this morning, in all seriousness. You guys are being lied to by the devil on a daily basis. You guys are being deceived, and some of you are more offended and, and frustrated with my procedure sermon and talking about this procedure that you're missing out on listening to the Holy Spirit of your life. The devil will use every diabolical twist into your mind and into your heart to get you not to listen to the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, inside of all of us this morning, the devil is spreading his cancer. He's getting you to have negative attitudes. He's getting you to be critical. He's getting you to be discouraged. He's getting you defeated. And all the while, he spreads his lies. He gets you focused on everything that's wrong, everything that offends you, everything that upsets you, and you die spiritually from the inside. The cure is painful, and it's called repentance. It's called acknowledgement that we got an enemy, and we run every day and ask Jesus to forgive us of the attitudes and the negative thinking and the sinful choices that we're making. And I'm telling you, it's painful, it's not easy, and it's frustrating, but it's the only way you live. He's the great deliverer. He's the great deliverer. It's the only way that you spiritually live. And so this morning, what does this look like in your life and mine? Number one, write this down. He delivers us from demonic influence. While Jesus was still teaching in the synagogue, now get this. Jesus is still 
teaching publicly in the synagogue. I'm not sure if he was talking about colon. I see, I can't even say it now. Amy Blinn's got me so tripped up. But I'm not sure he was talking about that, but he literally runs into the devil. <laughs> I got to say this. So if I haven't offended you yet, let me try here. So Jesus goes to the synagogue and is preaching, and he runs into the devil. It's not the first or the last time that a preacher ran into the devil at church. Just throwing that out there. All right. Some of y'all get that later. In the text, in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you done with us? And Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I know some of you are flaking out that a Baptist preacher is talking about demon possession, but I'm telling you, it's in the Bible, and so that's what you need to be hearing. And so the truth of the matter is, is that literally this demon shouts out and identifies that Jesus of Nazareth, I know who you are, you're the Holy, the ho the holy One of God. And maybe that's our problem. Maybe the reason that we're not getting delivered today is because we in the church don't recognize who Jesus is. Let me say that again. We in the church don't recognize who Jesus is. Unfortunately, those of you that are discouraged, defeated, facing the enemy, the, the, the devil's crowd, they know who Jesus is. We have been in church so long, we've gotten so dried and crusty with our knowledge and our intellectual prowess that we have forgotten the authority and the glory of the resurrected Savior. We have forgotten that Jesus is all power and authority. And this is how Satan does this lie. I wrote this down because I think this is where he's deceiving us at. Satan makes us look at the dead while he takes over the living. And I want you to think about what that means. Satan makes us look at the dead while he takes over the living. We're fixing to go there. Hollywood is part of his whole scheme to get you all and me to think about the devil, that he's, woo, scary in dark places. We get scared of the dark, and we watch our horror movies. Not at our house, because Blaine would kill me. But, uh, and so just this past week, here's what you guys were watching. You guys were watching uh, Halloween 33. <laughs> Jason, man, let the guy die. 23 times he comes back. How many times is he going to put the mask on? He just keeps coming back. And then... We got, oh, that little cute little doll, poor old Chucky. Man, that is a messed up baby. And Chucky's been like for 15 years now just stabbing the daylights out of everybody. He doesn't really kill him, just, you know. Uh, and he's bad with a knife. Somebody tell you, you shouldn't let children have knives. And so we watch all these movies, and we go through this whole Halloween thing. And, you know, and even the truth of the matter is, let's just get real. We, we've got, you know, some of our folks watching the in service today, and you're sitting here this morning, and you're going, well, I have, you know, I am a good free will Baptist, and we don't celebrate Halloween, we don't trick-or-treat, and we don't like candy. And so I know we've got our rules and, you know, and how we've, you know, preached against that and all that kind of stuff. The truth of the matter is, that's not where the devil deceiving you at. And if you do think that way, then you've already missed the mark. And let me explain. The truth of the matter is, the devil's got us focused on scary nights and dead things, and, and it's in dark places. My youngest son, he's almost 6'3", athlete, all that stuff. And we would just, I would give him a hard time because he was deathly afraid of being in a dark room by himself. And so I would tease Adam and I would joke with Adam and I'd say, Ooh, Adam, you scared of the dark? And Adam, in his very emotional sense that Adam is, he would look at me and he would go, Well, Dad, he's very emotional. Dad, I'm not scared of the dark. I'm scared of what's in the dark. And so that was Adam's explanation, and uh, so I know some of you guys can relate to that, but the truth of the matter is, is the devil's got us all wigged out about Halloween and dark places, and that's how we view the devil. You with me? That's how we view the devil. But that's not how he works. The devil's here in the daylight, 
in this church, in this service, while you're watching online, the devil is lying to you. He's trying to deceive you. He's trying not to get you to pay attention to this message. The devil's got you worried about your convictions and Halloween and, and scary movies and all that. He's the de- That's us worried about the dead. The devil's working on the living. He's working in our minds and our hearts right now trying to get us to give up our marriage, trying to give us to quit on our kids, trying to get us to walk away and not believe in Jesus Christ, the great deliverer. That's where the devil's working at. He's working on us, the living. And so the text cries out that we wake up and see how the enemy deceives us. And by the way, we go to one of two extremes. Some of you all wig out and you're terrified that the devil's everywhere. Man, I'm driving to, uh, and you guys will post on social media, I was driving in Tupelo and all of a sudden somebody cut me off and I'm just telling you that was the devil. No, it wasn't. It was an Alabama driver. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have said that either. But the truth of the matter is, is a lot of times we give the devil a lot more credit and sometimes we're in a jacked up screwed up mess in our life because we've made stupid choices on our own. The devil doesn't have to do some, so much for a lot of us because we just keep doing the wrong thing anyway. But then there's the majority of us and we underplay the devil and we don't recognize the significance of what he's doing in our life and he's wearing us out among the living. There was a movie several years ago called The Exorcism and Emily Rose a girl possessed by a demon, just like in our story today. And they try to get rid of it. And the little girl is having violent episodes, and they cannot get her under control to try to cast out the demon in the movie. And so in the movie, they give her a drug, and I'm sure Belinda and Amy's going to correct me on this too, but they give her a drug called Gambitrol. And the medicine Gambitrol calms her down, and it helps her be relaxed, But then she's so out of it that they can never get the demon out of her. And that's how the movie goes. And the truth is, you guys are numbing yourselves to your pain. And again, hear me this morning. I'm not talking about mental illness, and I'm not talking about there's a legitimate argument for drugs and and medications on this stuff. I get that. I'm not knocking any of that. But what I'm saying is, is when the pain of our past and our present. Remember who the devil's going after, the living. And when he overwhelms you with your schedules, and we're going to get to that in the end, and he's getting you in a dark place, and I'm getting ready to tell you about mine, it's easy to run and get drunk, to get, met, to get non-prescription medications, It's easy to drug and drink ourselves out of the pain rather than going to Jesus and asking the great deliverer, you come into my life and you help me think differently and live differently. Maybe the choices I'm making need to change so that I can see your glory. I'm going to share with you a personal story today. As we wrap this up, <clears throat> and this is my story, and I don't want to lift me up because I'm not, and you'll get that, but the Holy Spirit's laid this and said, you need to tell your story because I think it can help you guys. <clears throat> this week, if you were looking on the outside of Terry's life, you would go, James, man, Terry had a killer week. Largest crowd in our church's history Sunday night on our campus and got to share and love on our neighborhood just like we'd dream. God just blew it up and we did more than we've ever done before. Amazing. Thursday night, have this room packed and I got a chance to shake hands and hug on guys that I've been praying for for years that have never set foot in this service and I got to share Jesus Christ with them. That he is a hope and a savior. Amazing week hired Taylor, uh, all of the stuff that God is blessing our church with. On paper and by the outside, 
He would go, dude, you must have been on the mountaintop all week. And I was anything but. And this goes to your life and mine. Everything around you externally can be clicking and happening in place. But the devil is attacking the living. So I've got this message that I know God wants me to deliver to you all today. And I'm telling you, he unleashed all of his demons from hell. And I have felt a dark cloud over me like I haven't felt in a long time. And I can't explain it to you tonight, this morning. But no matter what I tried to do, have you ever had a week where, man, there was just no joy? I had every reason to be off the chain because of the external things happening in my life. But I'm telling you, I could not get past this dark cloud that was just wearing me out this week. I get to Friday, and for those of you who don't know um, that I write our sermon, <laughs> I actually type our, my sermons out by manuscript, word for word, given to the media guys, and that goes in on Thursday, um, um, about eight pages, uh, 2,432 words is my normal uh, text range, and man, I get to Friday, Mark, and I've got zero. And I'm a type A, you know, organized person. I'm wigging out at this point. I cannot get a single word typed on this message Friday. I'm already past my mark. And I got nothing. And I so start just cannot get past this wall that I'm spiritually hitting. And I'm just full disclosure. I'm struggling with sin this week. I'm struggling with temptation this week. Don't look at me. Y'all been there where it just seems like the devil is just putting everything in front of you and wearing you out. I get to Friday. I feel defeated. I have failed. I got nothing. I got nothing to give you all. And so, what do you do when you just, and I'm preaching on this, I should know this, but the devil's beating me up, David, and I'm not seeing it. And so I, the only thing I know to do at this point, I got nothing, is I text my discipleship group. And this is why every one of y'all's bus needs to be doing discipleship. I text my discipleship group, and I said, Terry and Scott and Tony and, and uh, Josh, I said, dude, I need prayer. I got nothing. And, and then I text my, we've assigned, because we believe we're in a demonic warfare, we believe Satan hates what's going on in this church, so I've assigned deacons to all of my staff. And their prayer, certain deacons are praying over different staff members, and so I text my, my deacon group, and I say, guys, same thing. Man, I'm just telling you, I got nothing. And the devil's wearing me out. And all of a sudden, my phone starts blowing up. And they're texting me scriptures. And they're texting me prayers. And Brooks is saying, man, I've had the same problem. But here's what I figured out, preacher, is the devil cannot beat me. The devil cannot win. Preacher, you got to remember, he is the great deliverer. And I'm telling you, what God gave me next is up on the screen. This is the scripture that God gave me. So I, I pray, and then I go to the word. Are you getting this and writing this John Brown down? You want to know how to beat the devil? You pray, write it down, and then you go to the Word. And it's the truth of who he is. And here's what I've discovered. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. Then I read, to him who alone does great wonders, his steadfast love. Love endures forever. To him who understands more that made the heavens, his steadfast love endures forever. And guess what word God gave me? God said, I created the heaven, the earth, the stars, the moon, the sky. And if I can do that, I think I can handle Terry Pierce. I think I can handle a little dark cloud season in your life. But it didn't just end there, baby. It gets better. This is what I went on and read in the rest of the chapter, and just a little taste of it. So here's some more. So he says, give thanks to the Lord of hosts for his steadfast love. Um, no, go, move on, move on. So, sorry, yeah, there we go. Yeah, not that one either, more of the scripture. There we go. And so, and he brought Israel out from among them, and his steadfast love endures forever. So David begins to recount all the times and places that God, had delivered Israel with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. 
A steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, y'all say it with me, for his steadfast love endures forever. And he made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. And here's what God showed me. God said, what I want you to get out of this is I want you to sit down right now. And I stopped what I was doing. And here's what I want you to do. Write this down. I sit down and I made a list of all the times, just like David did, where God had delivered me. And after every one of those delivery things that God, the deliveries that God had done in my life, I wrote down the phrase, his steadfast love endures forever. Can I tell you my list this morning? And I double dog dare you to make that list this week because it will bless you. You have a list. You have a list. You have it. Has God delivered you guys? Anybody in here else besides me? I want you to write it down. Can I tell you what I wrote down in my life? In 1988, I was 23 years of age and pastoring my first church. They were so stupid to hire a 23-year-old preacher. Didn't know my head from a hole in the ground. And I'm pastoring a church at 23 in Thomaston, Georgia. You couldn't find it if you tried. And this little bitty podunk church, and they had a little bitty, they had a little bitty crowd, about 25 people, but they had a lead deacon. And Mr. Buddy, in my opinion, had probably never been saved. He let me know about midway through my little small tenure there. He said, I got news for you. I don't like you. And this guy's like 70, and I'm 23. And he goes, I don't like the way you preach. I don't like the fact that you invite people to Jesus. And he's a flipping deacon. And he said, and I'm going to tell you now, I've ran off every preacher that's ever been here. And he said it with a badge of courage. I mean, a badge of honor. He said, I've ran off every preacher that's ever been here. You next. So you know what I did? I went home and told Belen, we moving. But then the Holy Spirit said, uh uh-uh. We stayin' and fighting, and I go, you stay and fight, I'm moving. <laughs> and, and uh, man, that guy was me, and, and uh, he's trying to run off every preacher, and I'm talking about old guys, and I said, I, how in the world am I going to do this? But all I know is the Holy Spirit said, son, we're fixing to go, and that church needs to be free of that dude. And so the Holy Spirit said, we, we ain't going. And so I'm telling you, all I know is what happened over the next month is that deacon left, and that church has been set free from that deacon ever since. And I'm still here because God delivers in 1996, we were at our second church in South Georgia. You really couldn't find this church. In the middle of a bean, uh, uh, peanut field. Not even on your GPS don't know where that church is at. And we were living there for five years. Adam was a little baby, wouldn't eat, dehydrated, and was all bit being ready to be pronounced dead. We're in an Albany hospital. And in walks this guy who had come to our church a few years earlier. And I had the privilege of leading him to the Lord. But before Jackie got saved, he walked into that same New Light Free Will Baptist Church in the 70s after he came back from Vietnam with long hair, fought in the war, and the preacher told him, you go get your hair cut some before you walk into a Baptist church. And he never set foot back in there for, for 20 years. But then he met some young preacher who didn't know any better and said, I could care less about the color of your hair, how long it is, or where it grows out of, or anything else. All I know is that Jesus wants to save you, and you need to get saved before you die and go to hell. And he comes in and prays over my little boy. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the doctor said, we think we're going to keep him. We think he's going to make it. My son was delivered that day because my God is a great deliverer. I was at our third church in Georgia. This is my story. His love endures forever. My third church in North Georgia. And the church and I began to cross hairs a little bit, and that had enough of me, and I was sort of done with them. And I'm like, we're getting out. Man, 13 years of being a pastor, this sucks. This is not what they told me it was going to be like. And then some couple of morons called me from Tupelo and said, we desperate. We can't get nobody to even try out at our church in Tupelo, and all we got left is you. Would you come? <laughs> and so, you know, the rest of the story. But anyway, uh, truth of the matter is, my God delivers, and he's good, and he's faithful. 
and in July. I would preach the funeral of one of my best friends that I've ever had on planet Earth and the chairman of the deacon board of this church who suddenly would die of brain cancer. But we're still here. And by the way, David's healed this morning. David is in heaven. David did not die and end. David is more alive than he's ever been before. And we're still here because my God delivers. And the message is this today. When all hell breaks loose in your life, when the devil puts a dark cloud over you, because who's he going after? He's going after the living. If the, devil's going, if the devil's not bothering you, you need to check and see if you've ever been saved. Because the devil goes after the living, not the dead. And here's how we get victory. We pray and we run to the scripture and we remember that his love endures forever. Shall we stand? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message this morning. We thank you for the truth of your holy word. And God, you're so good and you're so faithful to remind us that you have come to redeem us and to save us. And Father, there's just times in our life where we've screwed up, where we've failed, we've made wrong choices. And God, sometimes the devil just does it and sometimes we do it to ourselves. But you brought us here today to remind us that you long to save us. Fathers, there's one here this morning that has never trusted you as their Savior to pray this prayer right now. Dear God, I pray that you would come into my heart and my life. Forgive me of my sins. I believe in your death and burial and resurrection, that you paid the debt that I could never pay, that you want to save me and redeem me here this morning. And Jesus Christ, I ask you into my heart. I believe that you're Lord of my life, and today I choose to follow you. Now this morning, church members, every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know where the devil's been wearing you out. And I don't know how the devil's been tricking you and deceiving you. But I just know he's here. He is here. And today, it is time for you to cast him out. It is time for you to allow Jesus to deliver you. Would you today call upon the blood of Jesus and say, No more am I going down that dark path. Today, lift the veil, Jesus bring me back. Look at me, church, this morning. I'm here today. I'm preaching to you today. I've never had more victory in my life. I went through hell this week, but I'm telling you, today is heaven because Jesus delivers, and he can do the same in your heart and life. Would you come this morning? Would you come? Thank you for listening to the Sermon Playback Podcast from Connect Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Connect Church has two worship services on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 1030. We sincerely hope you'll visit. For more information and details, or if you have any questions you'd like answered, please visit our website at www.triconnect.church. Again, that's www.triconnect.church.